I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Caroline Kaufman. She's a poet, and her new book is When the World Didn't End. In her 2018 debut collection, Light Filters In, teen Instagram sensation Caroline Kaufman, a.k.a. uh, Poetic Poison, uh, nearing 2,000, nearing 2,000, nearing 200,000 followers, tackle difficult topics such as anxiety, depression, sexual assault, abusive relationships, first love, the loss of freedom and innocence, and the search for self. Now, in her new sophomore release, she explores the shock, wonder, and beauty of an uncertain future with uplifting words on love, forgiveness, self-discovery, and what it's like living after a hard-fought battle with depression. She began writing poetry when she was 13 years old as a means of coping with her depression, and a year later started posting it online. She is currently a student at Harvard University. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Caroline. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, you are in that, I guess, my first guest, we were talking about Generation Z, which is... um, which is what you're in, Generation Z, 18 to 22 years old, that generation doesn't usually connect with poetry. And so I guess my first question is, you know, you started writing poetry, what did I say, 13 years old. Um, How did you, when you started, how did you, why did you decide to write poetry um, to deal with your depression? Um, Well, I have always been really into music. Um, and I think I first started trying to write songs, actually. Um, and it was pretty difficult for me, but I really liked writing lyrics. Um, and so that's, I think, sort of how I came to what would be considered poetry. Um, and I sort of realized that, I guess, like lyrics, just poetry, um, And that's sort of how I came to poetry. I never really studied it in school. Um, So it was really more just writing about my life um, and trying to, on my own, um, read poetry and sort of saw the themes, common themes that I would see and sort of trying to fit that into my own writing. So was this cathartic for you? I mean, we talk about you were suffering from depression. So I'm assuming this was a way of alleviating some of that depression. And Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I really, I think the writing really picked up in a time when I felt incredibly alone. Um, and I felt like no one else would understand what I was going through. I felt like I couldn't talk to my friends or my family Um And so the only way that I felt like I could really get out what I was feeling was through work, um, which um, it was absolutely a catharsis for me. It sounds like it it was a diary or a a form of a diary that um, I'm not sure that. Absolutely. Um, I wrote about everything that that happened in my life, basically. I mean, you, you said it in your intro. I talked about everything from when I was struggling with mental illness to first love and heartbreak. Um, I really fit basically all of my life experiences. I really tried to get them out and make sense of them um, on, on paper through work. 
Were your parents aware of your depression or did, were you able to talk to them or was this your out, sole outlet? I know that you could, you know, I've read your bio um, and you come from a, a, a Jewish family um, and you are, I don't know how religious, but that has had a great impact on you in terms of writing your poetry, getting your feelings out. Can you talk a little bit about that because I'm wondering, were you able to share any of this in the beginning with your parents? The work that you, the, the your writings, your poetry. Um, not really. Um, my parents generally knew that there was something going on, um, and they tried their best to sort of help and tried to put me into therapy. But I really wasn't ready to even admit that I had an issue at that point. Um, and so I really kept my writing to myself. Um, and whenever I was posting it online, it was anonymous. Um, and so I didn't really show it to anyone that I knew exactly because it, I really was trying to, in person, make everything seem like it was totally fine um, and be this happy, smiling person that I had always been growing up. Um, and then I would go online and really like feel like I could talk about how I truly felt. Um, that takes a lot of energy so, that- to, to be able, to, I mean, a lot of energy to be one way and then do a flip side, a 180, and act in a different way, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, definitely. But it, to me, it felt better than always pretending. Like, it was either I pretended I was okay in every facet of my life or I found one specific like place where I could be my true self. Um, and that in itself felt like it was a relief, even though I still had the pressure of, being the happy person and everywhere else in my life, I felt it was a relief just to have somewhere where I felt like I could talk about everything that was going on. So you said you were writing anonymously online. When did that change? Um, It wasn't exactly a choice of mine. Um, I think either the end of junior year or the beginning of senior year, um, I, I guess I, clicked something wrong and my Instagram connected to my Facebook account. Um, And everyone I was friends with on Facebook got a notification that said, your friend Caroline Kaufman is on Instagram as Poetic Poison. And I didn't know what happened, um, but I started getting all these texts from people um, asking what it was, if it was actually me. Um, By this point, I already had over 100,000 followers, so everyone was pretty shocked. Um, And it it was terrifying. It was awful. Like I felt like my diary had just been passed around my high school. I felt like suddenly everyone knew everything that was going on in my life. Um, and like, it was no longer this safe place for me to say exactly what I was feeling because I knew that everyone around me was reading it. But then it seems everyone around you was reading it, and I assume that most of your followers, or many of them, are teens who really connected and a really po- could really identify with what you were saying. That it was helpful to them. I mean, that I, it's, I assume that that would be one of the factors that would would perhaps mitigate some of the terrifying "I've shown the world my diary" kind of feelings, right? Um, yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Like. And I think what sort of made it feel more okay was I'd always had, I think most of the people following me were teenage girls who were feeling a similar way that I was. Um, But once um, sort of it wasn't anonymous anymore, 
I started having a lot of people at my own high school message me or come up and talk to me and tell me that they felt exactly the same way or that they were even following me before and they didn't know it was me. Um, and that they really appreciated that I was talking about these things and that it helps them feel less alone and that um, nobody talks about it, especially in like the town where I grew up in mental illness really was not talked about at all. And I like, I think what really allowed me to sort of become more okay with it was that people from my own hometown were grateful that I was talking about it and they could, they recognized that no one talked about it in person and um, it was really helpful for them to have someone talking about it in person, um, which really changed my mindset. I thought that it not being anonymous was the worst thing ever. I thought that I wasn't going to be able to write fully honestly again um, because I knew that everyone was reading it, but seeing how the people around me felt about it and seeing how many people around me were struggling with the exact same thing and feeling so alone for it. And we were all feeling so alone, even though we were all experiencing the same exact thing, um, made me even more motivated to keep being honest and keep being open about it, not just online, but in person as well. Um, and I really do think that that has helped me become like, I, I wouldn't have chose it, but I'm grateful that it happened um, because it's really allowed me to become this honest person who really doesn't pretend or hide, hide or hold things back. Um, and I think it's really allowed me to live my life in as honestly as possible, which I'm very grateful for. Well, you've taken these taboo topics that, as you said, were not spoken. I mean, nobody talked about it in your community, which always still amazes me. I'm obviously, I'm in a very, you know, a different, I'm in the Bob Dylan generation. uh, And uh, that we're, I hope we're still not back in, you know, that we've made some progress. Of course, you're one of the young people who are making those changes, but taking those taboo topics, writing about them, um, and destigmatizing mental illness. I mean, it, it's still, as you say, a major issue. Um, what, now, you've been called the Instapoet, yeah. and not totally, as I understand it, pleased with just that title, Instapoet. <laughs> yeah, um, Instapoet is sort of a title that has been given to a lot of writers who started by posting on Instagram and sort of got followings there and were able to sort of turn that following into published books and book sales. Um, and even though I do appreciate what social media has allowed and like, the, like this completely new, I think like this new age of, um, the internet and social media being able to like help with art forms and people trying to um, get their art recognized. Um, I think that the term Instapoet has really been used by a lot of academics who kind of look down on writers who are writing online. Um, I think that a lot of people feel like poetry is this like sacred art form and that it's, it's on a pedestal and it's, and it needs to be confusing and not everyone understands it. And it's, and it's intricate and it's detailed and you, 
can study it your whole entire life and still not understand it. And you need to be um, studying English at Harvard in order to understand poetry. Um, and so they look down on Insta poetry as not real poetry or like sort of sacrilegious, like not really, it's like not, not living up to poetry as an art form and sort of it doesn't count as much like poetry versus actual, like actual poetry versus Insta poetry, um, actual poets versus Insta poets. Um, and I don't really like that because I, I am studying English at Harvard and I love romantic era poets. I love Emily Dickinson and I love Walt Whitman and I still, I love what you would consider Insta poets. And I don't think that there should be really a distinction between the two. I don't think that Insta poets aren't real poets. I think that the art form is evolving, but the art form is constantly evolving. And I think that, um, I don't really like to sort of consider Insta poets or Insta poetry less than, or to use those terms to sort of make them seem like less than real poetry. Well, I think those who want to make poetry just for the elite really keeps poetry away from all of us, away from the masses, which is not a good thing. It's, it's you know, just sort of focuses on one little elite group of intellectuals, or if that's, uh, that's what it sounds like anyway. Um, so, and you mentioned your, but you are studying, this is the question as I was reading your book, and I'm thinking about all that you've been through in your and, and depression and all of the different emotional things you've struggled with. Yet at the same time, I'm thinking you have to be able to focus and concentrate and do well in school. I mean, after all, you're at Harvard, you're a sophomore at Harvard, you got into the best, if not one of the best universities in the country. How did you do that? Um, well, honestly, looking back on it, obviously the I'm truth. very grateful that <laughs> I have this opportunity now, but um, I was pretty miserable for most of high school. I really put so much pressure on myself to get all the good grades and to take the hardest classes and to get the perfect test scores. And it, and I come from a town where that's super competitive and sort of everyone was competing for those grades and those test scores. And, um, it really took a toll on me to constantly be studying for hours and hours and hours in order to get these grades and sort of define my success based on like the letters on a report card. And I'm very grateful that it has gotten me to college. Um, But now that I'm sort of in college, I, people continue to sort of, fight for those grades and those test scores and everything. And now that I'm sort of here, I, and now that I am happier and I'm not in that sort of perfectionist mindset as much, like I never want to be like that again. And I, I don't think like, I don't want to be the person who studies 40 hours a week for a subject that I don't even care about um, in order to feel successful, in order to, um, define myself worth by grades and really for the first time in my life. And it's funny that it's happening like at Harvard, but for the first time in my life, I'm like 
okay being maybe being like a decent student or an average student instead of the best. Um, I am learning to be okay with um, not getting straight A's because I'm studying things that I'm passionate about and interested in and those things matter more to me. Um, and those things make me happier than, than working just to get a grade or just to get to some end point. But as I understand it, you're pre-med. So pre-med, how does that fit into being, you have to get into medical school, I assume, if that's what you continue to want to do. <laughs> um, doesn't that entail grades and test scores and all of those kinds of well, things? Actually, yeah. um, I was pre-med up until yesterday, spring, <laughs> this past spring semester. Um, and that was a difficult decision that I had to come to to sort of let that go. Um, I've always wanted to be a doctor ever since I was little. Um, and there's really a clear-cut path. Like, you know that you have to go to school, you have to take the MCAT, you have to apply, you go to medical school, you go to your residence. Like, it's a very clear-cut path. And it like, at the end, you get dropped off and you're a doctor. And that was very straightforward to me. Um, and I think that if you did drop me off 10 years in the future um, as a doctor, like, I would enjoy that career. But um, the pre-med atmosphere, it just felt so much like high school. It felt like everyone competing for those grades. And um, because it's such a, an especially um, competitive atmosphere at Harvard, like um, everyone is used to being the best. And so they study more and more and more to try and be the best, but everyone's trying that. And then it turns out that if you're not studying 40 hours a week, you can't get those grades basically. Um, and even though I really am interested in biology and medicine, I really had to take a step back and be like, do I want? this to be my life? Like, do I want to study this much? Do I want to be competing this much? And I know it shouldn't have to have come down to a choice between being pre-med and being happy, um, but it sort of almost did um, because to be successful in that path, I really felt like I was going to have to put myself back into my high school mindset. Um, and now that I'm not pre-med anymore. I really, it's difficult because I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. And I've had my life, like I've had that plan for so long. Um, but I'm studying things that I'm happy, that I'm passionate about and things that make me happy. And I'm still taking biology courses and like medicine courses because I do genuinely love those subjects. Um, but I don't really feel the pressure anymore to be this perfect student. Um, and I think that's really been a weight lifted off of my shoulder. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've lifted the weight off your shoulder and that you're <laughs> you just, and that, you know, that whole, that you're very much more self-aware now is your, the choice in terms of the choice that you made. Um, and you're not doing what you did in high school, which obviously didn't make you happy as you were depressed, unhappy. Um, so it, it sounds like it's a, you made the choice. It's a good choice. Also, I'm you know it seems to me you you're sort of I'm describing you as a Renaissance woman. Um, you have so many interests and so many talents, and sort of pre med is sort of cutting you off from all the rest of it. This is you're, you can always go to medical school in five years if you want to. <laughs> um, 
So yes, um, I I actually really do appreciate that I have so many passions and interests, and I don't think that it should be an either or situation. Um, I a lot of people are were always like, oh, pre med, but writing poetry, like those are such completely different things. Like that is so backwards. That's so opposite. Um, and it's really funny because to me, none of my interests seem counterintuitive to each other. And I think that I am very interested in biology and medicine. I'm very interested in music. Um, and I think that poetry, like that, those things go together in my mind. And I think that if you read my work, a lot of my other interests sort of find their way into my writing because it's how my brain works. And I have a lot of poems that reference sort of medical things or biology things. And I have a lot of poems that talk about music or try and understand the world through a music term. Um, and I think that I don't see the sciences as completely different than poetry. And I think that I have pieces where I am trying to sort of explain it. Like I, um, I remember that I, something, some essay that I wrote a few years ago where I was talking about um, holding a human heart in my hand for the first time. And the way I described it, it was like, it was a, it was a spiritual experience. The only way I could describe it was poetic. Like, I think that I, I don't know. I think that all my interests sort of, I like having that diversity of interests and I don't really think of them as all these different directions because to me, they sort of all fit together in my head and I think they all come together in my writing. Yeah. I think it's all connected is what you're saying. It's, it's not this very separate worlds, but they all, we only have a couple minutes left, but I just wanted to ask you the question about female poets because I'm sure that being a, I mean, a female poet is, 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 is unique. And I read something about uh, that you have a group chat called Strong Female Poets, and then it encompasses female poets from around the world. I don't know, in a couple minutes, can you describe that and, and what, what that is and what it does for you? Um, I think that um, traditionally, um, minorities in any sense of that word have been sort of excluded from traditional publishing. A lot of poetry um, has a lot of famous poetry is just a lot of straight white men. Um, and I think that, um, I think that social media has really allowed people who may not necessarily have fit into that mold to find their own following and get their own audience without having to go through the traditional route of, um, querying to agents and, um, submitting manuscripts to publishers and having to go through, um, that traditionally like straight white male fields. Um, and so I think it's been really great that I've been able to find, I think that like as a woman, like finding a group of other women who are writing and are doing the same things that I am and sort of finding our way in this sort of untraditional route and being able to find that success has been really amazing. And I also um, have been able to meet a lot of queer poets and like that, um, like, that community is like very important to me. And a lot of queer poets have also got their following or they started an audience um, through, um, through social media sites. And um, 
I don't know. I think it's, it's empowering to me because it can feel very alone. The industry can be very lonely. Um, and well, this is that really when you say nice. you feel very alone, we have one minute left because we're going to end on that, that this really, <laughs> that's the power, the good stuff that comes from social media. I mean, I think you've described it really well and what it's done for you personally. But I, oh, I, I want to mention your book again because I want everybody, to, When the World Didn't End, Poems by Caroline Kaufman, and you can buy the book online, bookstores everywhere. And 30 seconds, just give us a website we can go to to connect with you. Um, well, you can connect to me um, at Instagram at Poetic Poison or go to my website, carolinekaufman.net. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Caroline. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 